right, guys, what's going on? This is the uh, correct room to be in. Let me just go ahead and share this really quick. Live now. Okay, one minute. I know some other shows have like intros and all of that. I, I don't have any like production quality to my show yet. So maybe we'll work on that. <laughs> um, one moment, bear with me. Okay. You should be good to go. All right. So uh, apologies for the last uh the last link that i shared um i was mentioning it to uh whoever was in that room i was really confused about the time uh this hour back hour forward stuff has to stop i was in my kitchen and um i was looking at the uh refrigerator clock and uh it said 11 30 um and obviously everything else adjusts automatically uh and i was thinking oh damn, I set the time for the stream. I wanted to do it spontaneous, meaning like within the next 15 minutes, I set the time to 12.45, like I need to go fix that. And then when I was going to fix it, I was trying to figure out why I couldn't set it for 11.45. And it was because that time had already passed and I just didn't put two and two together. So thank you for uh, bearing with me with that technical difficulty. Uh, so we'll get started in a minute or two. Um, obviously, for those of you that are new to call in. Uh, this is a phenomenal platform. It, uh, it has everything stored. So, you know, basically podcast format, every call in that I've done is archived, recorded. Um, originally it was only accessible to iPhone users, but now you can find all of this and access it through Android and desktop as well. Uh, so for those of you that are late, you know, it'll be good because you can, uh, rewind, right, and, and listen to what we've covered. Whereas, like, some other platforms, you know, if you enter into the room, that's really it. It's, it's, it's lost in the ether, and uh, there's no recording. So my name is Ryan, also known as Cantron Clark on Twitter. I'm sure many of you are already familiar with that. Um, as a reminder, everything that we go over uh, is just my opinion um, or the opinions of the speakers that choose to to hop on. None of this is financial advice. Um, yeah, that goes without saying. It's it's strictly for entertainment purposes only, right? Uh, so all the formalities aside, this stream is, as it's labeled, uh, a spontaneous Sunday stream. So there was actually a, it's not a squall, my wife tells me, but um, a uh, spontaneous blizzard yesterday. Not a blizzard. Um, that makes it sound a lot more extreme. It just started snowing whiteout conditions. Um, got really cold all of a sudden, and New York weather around this time of the year um, you know, spring comes in like a lion leaves like a lamb. So it was really beautiful throughout the week. And then it just gets brick, um, just extremely cold. So snowed yesterday, extremely cold today. Uh, my wife is out doing things with um, the horses and the new hunt puppies, the new litter that was born. So that leaves me with a free afternoon. And I intend on relaxing, but I figured it'd be a good time to do a call in. Uh, take some questions, go over my thoughts. And then, yeah, hopefully in an hour from now, we'll be all done. So we'll cap this off by 2 p.m. That is the correct time, 2 p.m. So around uh, an hour from now, and then I'll get myself into the gym and maybe hit some golf balls. But anyway, thanks for tuning in, guys. A few things that I want to go over really quickly. So first and foremost, uh, I provide a lot of like 
higher time frame and lower time frame color on Twitter. And there's times when I don't really do a good job. And, and a lot of times I don't really good, do a good job of, um, you know, distinguishing between what my bias is uh, for the long term and the short term. You know, it's very easy for me to like share something with regard to higher time frame. And then, you know, five seconds later, be sharing a setup that is uh, with respect to the lower time frame. For the sake of this call-in uh, and all call-ins, the theme is the theme is clearly sort of the mid to high time frame. So uh, I'm going to be giving my thoughts on where I think prices, uh, you know, or what I think is going to be taking place in the next coming days, next coming weeks. Uh, we never really get into the granular stuff on the call-ins. Um, so I'm going to be going over my bias as for, you know, what to expect on a more or less like a swing basis. Um, because I've been saying on Twitter, you know, I, I think, and just to clarify, I think that we're honestly due for a squeeze upward. Um, and whether or not that comes from, you know, we're very clearly in a range right now. So make no mistake, like play the range. Until the range changes, nothing changes. You know, we're sort of in the middle right now. And, uh, you know, the saying goes, don't diddle in the middle. This is, you know, price when it's ranging, it's one thing. When the highs and lows are very clear. Um, but it's another thing for it to be stuck within a really confined range and then to be tightening within. So we are compressing, right? We're forming sort of a volatility funnel. It's not at the low volatility period yet. I mean, it's dropping. But if you just look at, you know, the last couple of weeks of March, it's not like it's really died off. We've had some really significant moves to the upside and to the downside, like significant squeeze up, completely unwinds, short period of low volatility chop, significant squeeze up, you know, completely unwinds. So it's not like we've really tapered off yet. So if you put on like any kind of volatility indicator, um, like a Bollinger Band or some type of channel indicator, or if you just looked at realized vol, uh, it's not that we're really getting to that make or break point yet, but it feels like that, right? Especially over the weekend when things are just rather dull to begin with. I share a chart quite often. It's a um, chart from Genesis Volatility. It's realized vol across all times throughout the day and all days throughout the week. Uh, and Saturdays are like the worst day, right? So Saturdays and just year to date. And I think year to date is a pretty good measure because context has been uh, completely shifted. You know, for the longest time, our focus was on, you know, what the Fed, we're all Fed watching, what's the Fed going to do, you know, what kind of rate hikes are we looking at, how many are we looking at, and then bam, you know, we have a, you know, conflict taking place, geopolitical conflict, almost all parties uh, involved to some degree or another, uh, and all the focus basically being on that. And if it was a time of uncertainty prior to that, it's exacerbated beyond anyone's uh, ideas of where we could have been, you know, just months ago. Uh, in terms of markets, right? In terms of market uncertainty. So um, right now, I, I do think that, you know, play the range, right? So it hasn't changed, right? So this is, can get very boring to talk about because it's redundant. So 45, right? So 45 and, you know, I think the low the low trigger is probably around like, uh, let's say, you know, 30, 37, um, and meanwhile, you know, if you break 37, it just means that you have probably a pretty significant drop down to the low of the range, which is around 34, 33. If you break 34, 33, that's a significant break, right? Because we've had, essentially, we've had a month of January that was a, basically a trending type structure, right? There was a period of bounce, um, excuse me, there was a period of bounce, 
uh, followed by a significant move down from around 41, 42, all the way down to 34. And then another period of bounce. Uh, we've had a move back up, right? And that was in February, uh, moved back down to cap off the end of February. And now, you know, March back up towards the highs. All of this structure, I don't know, it's hard. I'm talking about this right now and I'm looking at a chart. Um, all this structure is leaving us with an inside, uh, inside month, right? So you have the month of February that's completely inside of the month of January. And so far, we have a month of March that is, is completely engulfed by those prior months, right? So in order of that, too. So it's sort of like we have, ooh, this is an easier thing to say when you're not in you know, conflict with one party being involved. But it's like a Russian doll setup almost. It's like the month of March can fit inside the month of February, which can fit inside the month of January. And really, you know, this is just an indication that things are, you know, things are really balanced. Um, give me one second, because I just realized that I, I mean, you can hear me and all of that, but I just realized that I am doing this and my phone is on, it looks like my phone is on 4% battery. So give me one second. That would have been horrible. I am walking across the house and grabbing, this is what we do in our household. We, uh, have we buy like 10 to 20 chargers and then we lose like 17 of them. And then there are three and then you have to walk around the house and find where one of the chargers is and then completely move it. I, I hate USB chargers. Um, I have a bunch of stuff that's already plugged into my computer. So bear with me one second, I'm gonna plug this hard guy in and we are good to go. So anyway, sorry about that. I'm sure all of you guys can relate to some degree or another. Um, so we have an inside month setup and, you know, similar to an inside day setup, this is an indication of compression and balance forming. Um, it's even more significant when you have, you know, if you're looking at some kind of profile, whether it's a volume profile or TPO profile, and you see that throughout this structure where value has been established is overlapping considerably as well. Like you might have cases where you have an inside day or an inside month, um, right, where one is completely engulfed by the prior, but you might not necessarily have in the underlying structure a balanced distribution. In this case, we have, it's forming a very nice composite. So the inside setup normally would be, uh, it would be the break of like the prior month's high or the prior month's low. In this case, it's an inside month, right? If it's an inside day, it's a prior day's high, prior day's low. And that usually is going to lead to a move to the day before the high or the low. Um, it depends on obviously market structure, context, you know, where we sit within market structure. You might anticipate that, you know, there are definitely there are definitely conditions or considerations where you would extend that move or extend what you would assume that move would lead to. Uh, and I think that this is one of those situations. So for example, you know, if this structure right now were to resolve to the upside and we broke, you know, that depending on what exchange you're looking at, let's say if we're looking at Binance, um, if you broke that 45, seven threshold, you know, the, Textbook setup would say you're targeting the prior month, which is around 48. But three struck, you know, we have three months like this, very tight. Um, there's a good case to be made for a lot of hedging and shorts, right? So rather a lot of shorts opening, but probably to hedge and to, you know, to get sidelined essentially. So there's a good case to be made for a decent amount of fuel starting to build up. So what I'm saying is, in this case, I would say it would be one of the cases where maybe you could extend your, um, you know, extend your target. So if we broke, let's say, 45.7, instead of just 
assuming that the next month, prior month's high would be the target, you know, January high, we would probably be looking up around 50 to 52. Um, I think that especially a move like this where it's been going sideways this long and compressing and you're building up, what happens is when you're building a structure that has lower highs and has higher lows, it's, it's forming a funnel, right? And, you know, if you see open interest staying flat or going up throughout, you know, the course of this structure being built, you can assume that people are getting a position at the highs and at the lows and even at the center in the worst possible area. And when you finally break one of the more recent highs or recent lows, you could potentially lead to a cascade because when you're forming a range, you're having people that are building stops at the highs and stops at the lows. And when you're forming a range that is tightening, right? So it's coming to a point, those stops at the highs and local at the local highs and local lows um, are going to be inside of prior stops at previous highs and previous lows. So, you know, all you have to do is sort of get one of these going and then it, it sort of becomes like a, a Domino's situation, right? Not Domino's pizza. Um, so from a technical standpoint, the range is really clean. My opinion right now um, is a couple things that I think are worth noting. And it's like, you know, I, I hate to be sort of a macro tourist, but I think that you have to be a little bit more recently because not everything that's important is taking place outside of the crypto market for the most part, right? I mean, we know there are periods where equities drive crypto and there's brief periods where, you know, that correlation is really strong um, and where it really just falls off. So we had it where it was strong before the conflict and post-conflict, it's even been stronger, right? Besides brief periods where there's decorrelation and outperformance by BTC. Um, I, I think it pays to pay attention loosely even to what's taking place globally. Uh, if anything, this is a, a, you know, it's a environment for you to learn. And I think you've been forced to. Uh, I think everyone at some point has been sort of pulled into learning a little bit more. Uh, or rather now sees the value in learning a little bit more about uh, macro. But I, I, from what I'm seeing, there, and I don't want to get into any, I, I, I don't even want to open this up. It feels like I'm going to open up a can of worms. But um, maybe we're approaching a point where we'll have some type of resolution um, or this conflict is maybe on its last legs. Um, and I... I this is a conversation I'd be willing to just have with my dad right now because I know it would get crazy, but it'd be okay. But I don't want to say much more than that with regards to the conflict. But I feel like we're looking at some kind of positive resolution rather than this being drawn out over a long time. I was originally thinking this might be something that's drawn out over a much longer time, but it looks like the thing tides are turning a little bit more drastically. So peace talks, right? That is a catalyst that I think will be, um, you know, the spark that lights the tinderbox, right, for, for equities and for, for crypto. And this doesn't have to mean, you know, one thing that you shouldn't do is just immediately extrapolate to the furthest possible target, you know, I'm, I'm mortgaging my house, long only, up, you know, up only, all-time highs, same thing for equities. No, this is just, we're just talking about moves that might have some legs over the course of maybe a couple of weeks. Um, because, Right now, even if we looked at this structure in the high time frame, it does have a considerable amount of zip in it still, right? We, we had, you know, a, a double top so far. We're back down at, you know, structural lows that were put in almost a year ago. Um, 
it's not like we're really dying off in terms of volatility yet. This can go on much longer. And if it was just like, if it was something that was the bouncing ball meme, right? Um, if it was that, and we were just looking at a, you know, just from a physics standpoint, you know, something go from being highly kinetic to going back to having, you know, all potential energy. This could bounce around a lot longer. Uh, and we're seeing that it has decent amount of legs. So uh, anything that I talk about right now with regards to moves to the upside and to the downside, I wouldn't go as far as extending, you know, I wouldn't take it as, hey, if we break 45 and we have, you know, we have peace talks, um, you know, some kind of development with that regard that we're going to look at the all-time high in a couple months from now. I just, I don't think we're in that environment yet. I think we're in a news-driven environment and peace talks could be peace talks for a month. You know, everything looks good. Market has some tailwinds. And then you've seen it. Like if anyone's been paying attention, uh, and I think we're all paying attention, um, you've seen how this market is really sensitive to any kind of, uh, any, any language used, right? Um, so we could see a case where we have positive tailwinds and then that completely unfolds a month from now, right? I just, I would expect that even absent, absent conflict, uh, the year that we're going to have because of all the Fed watching, right? All the talk about rates, how many rates we're going to get, how many rate hikes we're going to get, to what extent. Um, it's just one of those years of markets anyway. The good news is that if you look throughout the course of history, just markets as a whole, the bear market periods, periods of, you know, recession, um, we're not, ta- I, I don't think, you know, we're talking, like, when I think of that, I think, oh, you know, this is a time where most people might have to just piss off for a year. That's not actually a long time, right? In the grand scheme of things, it's it's not um, it's not a very long time. And and even during periods, right, of bad economic times uh, where markets were you know in the doldrums, still like people who played and on emergent tech and um, tried to stay at sort of the bleeding edge in the forefront, they did well in markets. So I think that by crypto's nature, it has it has youthful legs, right? It has uh, much more room to grow. Um, and I think, you know, we're not, I, I think this is all behind, I think, you know, if you were told that if I wasn't a trader and I'd be, it's hard to think that's the way, cause I am a trader. Um, I confidently can say that Bitcoin's going to be higher two years from now. So, I mean, how silly am I to trade as much with a certain amount of my portfolio when, you know, and I do have cold storage. So it's actually, yeah, there's actually no reason for me to say that, but most people are better off just at a time like this kind of finding something else to do. Right. So. With regards to the setup on the higher timeframes, I think honestly, in the short term, I was seeing a move down, right? I was seeing a move down because we had poor, and this is hasn't been completely cleaned up. We had uh, poor lows from the prior days. We were kind of spending more time at the lows than the amount of time we were able to spend at the highs. And you could say that that's, you know, some type of soaking, right? Um, you know, swift rejections at the highs, but as we come down to the lows, it's being soaked up and there's, you know, a passive buyer, the idea for me, though, is, you know, where is price being accepted? Where is it being rejected? Well, it's, it's very accommodative down here, right? It's not like um, there is a, an immediate call to action when prices are down around 30, you know, 38, uh, where we're seeing a very significant amount of buying uh, from the aggressive side, right, from the aggressors. If anything, the selling is being absorbed by somebody, though, right? But that could be a combination of, you know, longer term limit participants, market makers, and so forth. I was looking at the structure and I'm thinking, okay, this this looks like it's something that could melt down. Um, and melt down just means kind of 
grind lower before we have some type of, you know, minor capitulatory spike that I think ultimately would lead to an imbalance move to the upside either way. So either way it comes, I think that we're looking at a move up to 48 again. Uh, and that could mean that we do rotate a little bit lower. So if there's a slight similarity between this structure and if you actually look back at a prior low. And go figure. I mean, markets are fractal to some degree because we're looking at basically the same participants in the same region do the same things that they did prior. That they did. That sounded funny. Um, so it almost looks like we're getting to the point where we were uh, towards the end of June and beginning of July, where things began to really compress. Uh, but then we just started to drip lower until we found right our spring point. So if anything... When I call for, when I'm looking at lower time frame setups, they're all just to, like I, I, I say frequently, the next sticky point. We could look at a move that maybe takes us down to, for example, 36.5, or even takes us down to 35 or 34, but it's very short-lived. So either way, it still sets up for the idea that you play the range lows, um, or if we begin to just melt higher, um, you know, after setting a local high around 42, you know, this is, uh, sorry, I'm looking at my chart, 42.1, 42.2. If we're above that high and we're beginning to put in a higher high above more local market structure where we more recently rejected from, then that's probably the move that's going to lead to the squeeze up, right? I, I don't think, because we're just funneling very nicely now, I think that the trigger levels are becoming a lot more, um, they're becoming a lot more obvious and a lot tighter. And I think you can lean on them a bit more uh, because we are coming to this point, right? So at any, after coming to a point, at any uh, point when, in which we break like a local high or local low, we could lead to that cascade. So a move above 45, right? So 45, what is it? 45, set, I, that's the wick high. But I think honestly, if we have presence above like 44.5, it's a region, right? I always try to give like a, an idea of where the region is rather than some type of line in the sand, right? It's, they're not treasuries. Um if we're above that 44.5 sort of 45 region, in my opinion, it's going to, I, I'm confident saying it's, it's going to 51, 52. Um, I said 50 earlier, but it's probably taking out the highs of the prior range going back in December. That is if we break above uh, the high of this range. You probably have short-term trigger, like I said, if you break above 42.2. Um, if we just look at the last couple of days, right, it's, it's very balanced so far. We have a really nice composite that's forming between, this is right between like 39.6 and 38.4. So you have your break from balance set up on the low timeframes um, within that structure. Otherwise, if we break down towards the lows, I don't, I honestly, I don't think that this is something that, I don't think that we see the move that goes down to, you know, uh, the 30.29K region. You know, if we break, and hold outside of 35, right? So below 35, 34, that's one thing, right? If we begin to, you know, establish uh, acceptance below that region, you know, there's a bunch of things you would want to look for, you know, just lack of de lack of demand, lack of an, an immediate snapback, no real crowding. Um, you could look at just books, for example, to see what type of depth we have, if anyone is actually is willing to step in and get involved around there. Um, Acceptance below 34, 35, yeah, could lead to that 29, 30K region retest. Right? It just it seems like the most obvious setup. Um, but until it breaks, right, it's, it's only been tested one other time. And that was, uh, that was the 23rd or 24th of February. 
Um, so I would expect it to do its job again and possibly, like I said, lead to an, an even more significant snapback. Um, what I think is, you know, I've said this many times before, the most important thing you got to focus on. And aside from like, I have, I have plenty of shots in my bag, so to speak, with regard to setups um, and certain edges in this market. Some are very nuanced. Like I, I talk about why I pay attention to buy bits still, um, you know, and, and maybe I'll find out that if I, you know, over a span of a couple months worth of data, that Bybit is actually not something that I should have been paying attention to. Right. But I still see the setups there. I still get behind them, but maybe there's a level of redundancy that I still, that I could have sort of done without if I just purely focused on, you know, FTX or Binance. But I think those, ha- those exchanges have to be at the top of your priority list regardless, regardless of whether or not, again, Nuance setups aside, you know, Bybit apes aside, where you know they get very offside or to the upside or to the downside. The same thing happens on Binance and FTX, and Binance is the most liquid product, so you have to pay attention to Binance. And I think one of the more telling, uh, one of the more telling details to distinguish right now is that Binance has been trading, uh, as far as funding goes, has been consistently uh, more often than not in the negative. Um, so this is something that either set, and when you see this coupled with the fact that stablecoin open interest is rising um, and price is not doing anything, especially in the last couple of days, and you see the long and the short side getting getting in position, right? Getting, you know, getting impatient, getting in position. Um, if you're funneling like this and it's really tight, you can basically just, you know, long, short, top and below the structure and, and play it sort of like a, a futures uh, strangle or straddle. But... I think the the prevailing case has been that it's the short side that's hitting a little bit harder more recently. And yeah, price hasn't really done much, right? Um, so with macro news not being positive whatsoever, price not really responding as much to the downside. Um, it's responsive to the upside though, right? It is responsive to the upside. So we are seeing some pulling when price does begin to move up. I think we could be looking at a move that is pretty violent and to the upside, right? Maybe we build up a little bit more short activity by rotating slightly lower, right? Get that little drip down, um, you know, have uh, more people pile in and then turn at that point. But the stablecoin margin contracts are important to understand because, as I've said in the past, and just to clear this up for anyone who is um, not following, you know, coin margin contracts, you're long BTC, like naturally long BTC product, right? If you wanted to, and you know, if you wanted to, trade a, a BTC margin perp, you have to be spot exposed to BTC, right? To, to have the margin for that position to begin with. Um, so like if you're hedged, you know, if you were in synthetic USD and you were short, you know, the amount of contracts to get, um, to get, you know, short your portfolio in, in contracts, um, one X short. If, if you wanted to regain exposure to the trend, like let's say, okay, you're hedged and now you're like, ah, oh, you know, I want to regain exposure on the long side. Like all you need to do is close your hedge out, right? So that's one form of buying pressure. You're just buying back in. Um, so stablecoin margin contracts are unique, right? Because market structure has changed over the last couple of years, where stablecoin margin contracts, and you can imagine this was going to be the way it was going to be, the natural progression either way, because people want to be using um, some type of fiat denominated, some type of USD or USDT or USDC perp. Uh, rather than always being exposed to the underlying and needing to hedge. And it just it gets to be something you don't want to manage, right? Why would you want to manage that? Uh, I just want to be completely flat and be in stable coins. So the problem with that is, is with the shift in favoritism towards those products, anyone who is short 
or hedging their portfolio with a stablecoin margin contract future, they one if they're on the wrong side of the ball, they have to buy back, right? Because they, you know, they're going to get run over or squeezed. So they have to buy back just to flatten out. But now when you're on majority of these platforms, you can't just go from your margin account to your spot account. You have to use the conversion. Uh, you know, it's not something that's incredibly difficult, but when seconds count, this adds up, right? So you have to, you know, travel to a different page. You have to convert um, or you have to, you know, send your USDT from your futures account to your spot account. Either way, you get the idea. Like if the trend is ripping, what are you going to do? Like seconds are going to mean hundreds of dollars. So what you have to do is you have to buy back right away with the futures product to regain exposure to underlying BTC. So this means that for hedges built up with, you know, USDT margin or stablecoin margin contracts, they have to buy back. Essentially, their buy their re-exposure costs, you know, is double the buying power. Um, so this leads to very significant moves up. And this is the move, you know, this is this was basically the same exact setup that you had back towards the end of July um, with the move off of 29 all the way up to 40. Um, so I think there's a good, there's a few details that are lining up. In the short term, there's always going to be trades to the upside and to the downside. But in terms of where I think we're going to be, and what I, will put it this way, in terms of what I think is setting up juicier, right, to, to uh, play with a swing, I don't see this, the bear case as attractive as the bull case, right? I mean, if you're short, where, I mean, where do you, where are you going to short from in it, from it to be attractive, right? For the trade to be an attractive trade from a risk reward standpoint, the middle is the worst, right? We're in fair value right now, but you're just, the best way to understand why you shouldn't get involved in a market at fair value is because the market is trying to find fair value, right? To a degree, fair value is essentially the wisdom of the crowds, right? This is where everybody is happy. More people are happier at fair value than anywhere else, right? This is the place where buyers and sellers are, they are at a standstill. So you want to get in positions where there's an imbalance, right? Where one side is overwhelming the other, where one side is really getting off sides, right? Is on the wrong side of the ball. At fair value, if you're getting a position at fair value outside of lower time frame trades, you know, for a swing, you're basically saying that you know more than every single person that's in position right now, right? For the, just oversimplify it if it helps you understand the concept because you're at fair value. The idea that you should get involved at fair value is ridiculous, right? You either want to sell when things are really overextended away from fair value, right? You know, your iPhone goes up to $5,000 today. You know, you could sell your iPhone right away and buy back another one tomorrow. You know, your iPhone, you know, iPhones drop down to, um, I don't know why I'm using iPhones. I'm looking at my phone. iPhones drop down to $200. Like you might already, you might already have an iPhone, but hell, why not buy some iPhones? Cause you know, they're a thousand dollars, right? So, you know, they're worth a thousand dollars because there's a huge deviation between price and fair value. So this is not an attractive area to get involved for both sides. But if we look at just how positioning is built up, uh, it does look like, sellers are more aggressive on perfect changes and there's not a lot to show for it. Um, and if you look at that next to certain details with, you know, with respect to the macro, the market is, it's, I don't want to, you, this is not a, uh, this kind of environment is not one where you could use the sentiment trade, right? Where you could say, Oh, everybody's negative. No, that's like, that's a good hindsight case to be made after the fact when positioners already moved $2,000 in your favor and you already have other details that are, that take precedent over that because in this environment, things could be negative for a really long time. Like 
there's good reason for them to be, you know, shit is fucked up, uh, to, for lack of better words. Um, let me open up the call right now. Uh, I've been going on for 32 minutes, so feel free to hop on. Apologies for, you know, rambling. Although I don't think I was rambling. Here I am talking to myself. Um, let me just see if I missed anything. I mean, the one thing that I would say is that the, the S&P does not look, I mean, I wanted to say over a week ago that I did, I, I, I was pretty confident that at least in the short term, we were looking at a bottom. Uh, we'll see obviously when futures opened up tonight, but I mean, I, I didn't, my, I don't remember what I said. If I said it's, oh, the, I'm just looking at the low 41. So $4,000 handle in the S&P. I think that is massively significant. I mean, if we just look at and it's right around more or less, it's right around, um, 4,027. It was a pretty significant, uh, ledge right there. Um, but losing those lows, right. We're already below like most trend follower metrics. Um, 4,000, losing that level, it's just a pretty significant psychological level. You know, we haven't, the, we broke 4,000. This is going back to last March. Um, it's just, you know, it's a bad look for the, for the year of uh, 2021 or just the, the year in general since, since we broke for us to completely retrace that level. Um, and again, sort of a big, <clears throat> big round number, big psychological level. We saw a kick off of 41, but the, the ugliness right now is that we're just able to hang out down there. Although the S&P, when it bottoms, it, it's not as sexy as BTC, where it just rips up. It, it does this, like, punchy behavior towards the lows for quite some time. Um, all right, so who's calling in? So we got a bunch of listeners. Pablo, what's up, man? I hope you like that list. Yeah, man. Thank you. It was really helpful. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's going on, man? Yeah, no, the list is uh, fantastic. Been uh, going through a lot of those people's uh, uh, tweets, and uh, a lot of them have uh, exterior information to go through. Um, yeah, I was just curious. I mean, with everything that's happening in terms of the Fed, and you know, I think at minimum we have twenty-five uh, basis points right that are that are going to be priced, priced in. Um, Probably, probably priced in. Um, with the Fed, no, with, we don't have what 150 billion dollar purchases, bond purchases every month anymore. Uh, how do we expect something like Bitcoin, which, which obviously we believe in the long term uh, uh, use case and value proposition, um, as a separation of money and state? And o- over time, I think it will continue to uh, be acknowledged as such, even by the left. But in the short term, a lot of the value that's there right now is speculative. So I, I, I can see like a, like a short-term rip up on positive news out of Ukraine. But with the Fed, with, with new rate hikes coming, what's going to keep that value going up? Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, there's a, a bunch of things. Um, the, you know, 25 basis points, I, I think you could assume that the Fed is already jawboned and hiked that or, or has already done that, um, you know, meaning that that's, more than likely already priced in. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, that's us 
all being on the same page with 25 basis points being the case, which I, I think is the case, but I don't know, right? <laughs> Imagine if they hit us from left field. I mean, I think the consensus is still, like if I look at my economic calendar right now and I look at what the, just bear with me one second, um, the consensus is still 50 basis points. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I th- hopefully this is updated, but in the last was 25, this one's 50. So it raises 25 basis points. Okay. So if, um, without, you know, risk assets in general benefit from excess liquidity from liquidity being put into the system. Uh, I always mm-hmm. thought that crypto was, you know, big crypto was a good representation of the overall availability of liquidity in markets. But I think that the, what Bitcoin is doing right now is it's sort of, coming of age or it's 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 a kid still growing up and like trying to find its identity and i think with what's taking place geopolitically whether it's originally it was what took place in canada uh what's taking place across the globe um with respect to russia and ukraine uh how countries are able to basically devalue their currency how they're able to um you know do, do what they did to russia for example putting sanctions sanctions on them and, and essentially drop their currency by what 50 basis points you know, to completely destroy the value of their currency. If you are a country that has foreign currencies on your balance sheet, imagine what that means, right? I mean, the United mm-hmm. States, it wasn't, there's, I, I see a lot of arguments now for the hegemony uh, continuing and, and this being like, um, you know, this going to be a you know, net positive, but this also, you know, weaponizing the dollar is not necessarily something that, uh, inspires a lot of confidence in anyone who is, um, you know, is holding dollars, right? So I think Bitcoin is consistently like this chameleon that is finding different use cases. And, and the most important one being sort of the ability to, you know, self-sovereignty, the ability to hold your own wealth and, and to be unbanked, quote, unquote. Um, I, I don't think that it's necessary that we have all the stimulus for Bitcoin to continue to go up. I think that obviously changes the rate in which it goes up. I, I just the way I look at it now, though, it's like with inflation where it's at, even if bonds were slightly more attractive, they're still net unattractive. Right. The, just the bond market yeah. in general um, for like for someone who is uh, like a, a normal investor, you know, basic retail level investor. Like I don't think there's any I don't know. There's no bonds are not attractive at all. Right? If you look at the rate of inflation versus what you're getting off of off of yield. But many, so I think many that, companies have to buy bonds, right? Like insurance yeah. companies like have to purchase. They denominate in bonds, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think that we'll, I, I think that this is this is a, a massive turning point for everything in the world um, with regards to global politics, with regards to how markets work. I think there's going to be a lot that changes moving forward, and crypto is going to accrue value because of what's taking place. I don't think we're going to look at like a ripping and roaring market anytime soon. Again, that was part of the stimulus. Um, But I think over time, what we see is that now because, you know, people are becoming more keen to the value that, you know, value proposition of Bitcoin and, you know, other cryptos as well. But just referencing Bitcoin because it is, um, you know, it it is like the the most well-known and the most decentralized. I think that what you're going to see is like uh, sort of a similar passive investor that you see in, in legacy where they're going to be just gaining exposure over time. 
passively buying just to have like that, you know, schmuck insurance in case things do go wrong. And now it's, you know, while it was like a, a romantic thing to say in the past, like, oh, you need to own a little bit of Bitcoin just in case. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've seen how drastic things can get. Um, yeah. But I think you're going to see like this slow trickle in just to be safe by a lot of large participants. And, you know, with regulation, regulatory agencies uh, clarifying their take on the space or regulations in general, I think that they have a little bit more confidence to get involved as well. So as that improves, while that's, you know, the normal retail investor doesn't really give a shit about KYC or any of that. Like people who've had stock accounts, brokerage accounts, they're, they're probably laughing at crypto people thinking like, the fuck is your problem? Like, like we, we do this in, all the time. Like this is just part of how the system works. Crypto, I don't know. I feel like it's going to, to be completely embraced, it has to lose a degree of that. But, you know, that's obviously part of like the ethos. So there's a lot of um, back and forth when it comes to that. Yeah. I think that Bitcoin gets adopted over time. And I think that it's going to accrue value uh, because of things like this that we're seeing, right? Things that take place where the dollar, you know, uh, devaluing our currency, weaponizing the dollar. I think this all, basically, I just think this all helps the um, the proposition that Bitcoin brings forward. Yeah. But I mean, you could also argue the opposite, right? Which is the argument that people like Michael Saylor make is that this actually strengthens, right? Because you need an on-ramp, like you need to have a stable on-ramp uh, to that ecosystem, which here we use USDC or USDT or just straight dollars if you're wiring into an exchange, right? So you could you could still use that because the US is still going to be the most stable. Like bonds right now are like 1.5. So it's, it's, it's a dumb investment for anyone really to purchase right now because rate of inflation is 15%. Really, it's about 15%. So you're losing a ton of money uh, right. purchasing. But we are the safest investment overall. It is that the United States government is the safest right institution in the world and betting against that you're, you're going to get wrecked in, in, in the long term right but i guess i'm just confused as to because I, I believe that in the long term i really i believe long term we do get something like a parallel system like a bitcoin standard i do believe that that's the case um however in the short term with so much money coming in from april 2020 and then now pulling the plug on that or closing that tab all of that value right because the Fed can't, all, all they can do is basically decrease demand by, you know, closing that tap. And, but the valuation of assets just continues to go higher. So like commodity prices are going insane, right? So like the, the differential has to come from other areas. So if something like bread goes up really big and oil and gas goes up really big, then there's a differential between that and our other speculative assets like Amazon stock, or maybe not Amazon stock, because that now is like a store of value, but other tech plays and Bitcoin and, you know, even crypto space itself. So I'm just like, I do believe we're probably going to get like a, a nice rip up. It looks like just given where we've been the past uh, few weeks, yeah. but I'm just curious as to what you think, where this, what we're going to be like in a year from now. Do you think this is like a shorter term move or you really think that maybe we're kind of, this is, we're, we're range bound between 30 and 60 and we're probably going to be there for a while. I mean, I don't want to say like that it's going to be like a commodity and just be a huge range. Uh, I think that this is, I, I think that with, I mean, the bounce that I think that is going to occur in, 
I think it's going to be just that. We're going to get a bounce. I'm not looking at like all-time highs in the next six months or Got even it. the next year, honestly. But I do think that because of everything that's taking place, we have a different story for participation now where people yep. are starting to realize the value proposition. And then therefore the people that get involved, they're less cost sensitive. They are, you know, lower time preference uh, and they're willing to buy over time sort of like your Michael Saylor, um, you know, like your uh, El Salvador, even though, you know, that's a different, that's a different situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the room for growth for crypto is, is much different than any other asset. And I, and this sounds silly, but I think that the benefit that Bitcoin has is that it can be like, you could either subscribe to it based on whether or not it's, you know, it's doing its job or not. There's a good amount of people that are in it because they think that they believe in the Bitcoin standard. Um, Mm -hmm. They believe that is, you know, the most true currency. Um, There's people that are in it because they think it's a great play on, uh, you know, it's a, it is a great play on risk, right? It's a risk asset. Uh, there's a bunch of different reasons for why people get involved in this space and in Bitcoin in particular. So I think that it has more stories and it has and more stories, meaning it has, it's very self-fulfilling almost. Like because it, everyone has a story for why they buy, whereas not everyone has multiple stories for why they buy Facebook or why they buy mm-hmm. gold. Um so I don't know that part of that is maybe the immaturity of the, the, of the market, but in the next year, I mean, I, I don't think that we're looking at a total meltdown of markets. Um, I think that we're looking at, you know, a, a bearish period, but a year from now, I don't think that Bitcoin is lower than where it is today. Maybe it's still I within see. this higher time frame range. I, I think that there's a higher, a really high probability that outside of a year that we're marching up back towards the all time highs. I can't see it where we are in a situation where Bitcoin is, um, is you know, hanging out down at 20K, you know, we're outside of this range to the downside. I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't foresee that. I think that, yeah. you know, for example, like El Salvador is bond buying, you know, their bond um, that they are backing with Bitcoin, right? That's the, I think that yeah. on the 20th. I think that that's, that is maybe not something that you're going to have in major developed countries, but if enough people start subscribing to that sort of approach to Bitcoin, uh, or enough, enough people, enough um, nations, countries, and so forth, uh, I, I think that Bitcoin is just finding its place in, in global markets, and that that's going to all of this stuff is is I think all of this stuff is that we're seeing is positive for BTC. But it's just, it's a matter of what your time preference is. Like if you're zoomed in and thinking about the next couple months, then yeah, there's there's headwinds, right? But in the long term, I think that it's just adding up on the positive side. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And that's why I um I give lectures regularly on spaces with, uh, with a couple of my friends, with Shinobi and Bitcoin Mechanic on the protocol. So I, I, I've done this for, for a while and um, I'm very bullish on, on Bitcoin in, in the long term. In the short term, I just see, obviously, you know, it, it trades like an equity, though it should be insurance against equities, it, yeah. but it trades like a, like a, like an equity. Um, but I think that, you know, like a lot of the stuff that's coming out right now with just what's going on in the markets, but also just like in Europe with trying to ban things like proof of work, you know, I think that there's still, uh, we haven't met the final boss yet. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, that that ESG narrative is is one of probably the, the biggest final boss, right? Um, because... 
I think that led to this whole energy problem that we have today. Um, not completely, but it definitely um, was a part of the problem in that there was underinvestment, right? Um, because of the ESG situation. And I think that that's, that's still a problem that we have to overcome. And I think Bitcoin's done a better job uh, since it left China. I think that really helped the whole narrative. Um, but I know that that just got put back on the agenda like a couple of days ago uh, in the yeah. EU, uh, for EU. So I'm just, I'm just a little uh, cautious right now. Yeah, no, I think it makes sense to have to, to be cautious, at least in the next couple of months. Like I, I just consider this kind of the forgotten year um yeah as far as speculation goes i mean if you're a short-term trader it's great but it's it's going to be before any of the conflict occurred i just assumed that it was going to be an extremely uncertain year um because of what you know what is taking place structurally but you know within the fed uh and the, and the change of that landscape alone without ukraine and, and russia conflict at all was going to make for in my opinion a, a pretty crappy year like you have trends within it, but it was if you look at the entire market right now, like we're talking about possibly um, Bitcoin doing well in the near future, like maybe a, a significant pump by BTC. I think that most alts are are just still going to continue to spiral down. Like market breadth right now, just overall market performance is just in the gutter, and there's no reason for that to start picking up again because I think that really is only going to pick up again when other speculative assets have the legs to do so as well. When there is more liquidity injected in the system, um, when there is more money slushing around. And, and I don't think we're looking at that in the near future. So Bitcoin potentially can benefit from a few narratives um, and is kind of coming to age or around at a, a pretty conducive time for that. But everything else is, is, I think everything else is still like far and away from, from longer term trends moving back up. Yeah, I, I I think once there's capitulation, I don't think I've, I don't think we've seen capitulation yet in the markets, but I think yeah. once we have, yeah, I mean Bitcoin, it, it's going to be insane. I mean it's it's just it's the it's the best asymmetrical like investment bet you you can have. Um, so I'm definitely bullish uh, in the long term. I don't think there's as someone who comes from a background of computer science or artificial intelligence, uh, there's nothing in the in the space uh, like it. You know, I, I, I truly believe this is the only technology that we've developed that has uh, been an, an overwhelmingly benefit uh, for for humanity, as opposed to, you know, things like artificial intelligence, which we often use against people. Uh, right. Bitcoin is really only used to help people. Uh, right. So I think I'm, I'm really bullish in the long run. But I, I appreciate your, your perspective because it, it's helpful to look at things just more than just a week or two out. I think about just next six months. So, yeah, yeah thanks for that. Yeah, man. Cool. Cool. Thanks. Good talking to you, Pablo. Likewise. All right. Does anyone else want to hop on? Okay. Raf. What's going on, Raf? Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, how's it going? Oh, perfect. Uh, well, first of all, uh, as many of, um, uh, of us here have uh, said, uh, yeah, thanks very much for, for taking the time. I wanted to ask if you could uh, elaborate on the identifying signs of uh, TWAP for these potential buys that, uh, that are going to be coming in from 
uh, from Terra and, and El Salvador. Uh, and if you could also uh, mention uh, or make a distinction between the tools you use and some tools that might be uh, uh, free or, or openly accessible, publicly accessible, basically. Yeah, so actually, the, I'll go over that first. The tools that I use, um, a couple of years ago, they were really hard to find in crypto. Whereas, like coming from a, a legacy trading background, they were they were all over the place. Um, crypto in the last couple months has rather these tools and and order flow and profile suites have been popping up left and right. There's a lot of great ones that you have to pay for, but there are also a lot of free versions now that are on. I mean, at some point to access, you have to pay for at least one platform. And it's it's probably the best thing for most people is to just get a TradingView subscription. Um, and I think you get like a baseline. So I think with TradingView, just a little trick, and uh, a buddy of mine, David Bell, works for TradingView. And uh, I don't think I heard this from him, but I, everyone's just kind of aware of it now. If you buy a TradingView subscription, let's say it's like you buy the base level. I don't know what the base level is now. It might be like $19 or $30. If you go to cancel it, they will say, you know, we're sorry that you want to cancel. Would you stay with us for half the price? So I think right away you could get basically a 50% discount by canceling literally right after you sign up. Um, but TradingView has your charting platform. Um, it also has a bunch of free indicators. And there's there's a few decent free market profile indicators. So that's one of the things I use, market profile, right? Um, there's a few decent market profile indicators. You know, I have uh, a bunch of different platforms. I have the benefit of having some good relationships with people that make them, and a lot of them I, I basically get for free. But the difference between like the, the paid platforms and like the generic stuff on TradingView, I mean, it's there's some extra bells and whistles, um, some extra customization that you can that you can do. The TradingView market profile, the free versions, and I I know there's a couple now. Um, they work they work just fine. Right. So you could use either the market profile for free or the volume profile for free as well. And it, I say for free, but you still I think you have to pay for the base level of trading view. Um, the order flow stuff, you can from a footprint standpoint, I think on like exo charts, again, I think you have to pay for the base level just to get access to the base level footprint. And then I think you have to pay a little extra to get the other time frames, like they lock you out. It's like you could only look at either the day, the uh, the four hour, or maybe like the thirty minute. So you know they they want your money, right? These you know there's, a, there's nothing really that's centralized in one area yet, which is why crypto is a pain in the ass. Because I have like my ExoCharts desktop open, but then the desktop platform doesn't have Binance, and then I have the ExoCharts web page with Binance, you know, added to that the plugin on the desktop. This is all like everything is, is really spread out. So as far as tools go, I would just I would get TradingView first and foremost, get the base level subscription, go to cancel it. I think they still do the 50 percent off deal. Um, free higher time frame aggregation of positioning can be found or can be rather deduced on something like Coinalyze. So Coinalyze is um, the website is. C-O-I-N, so like coin, and then allies, so A-L-Y-Z-E dot net. 
I'm pretty sure this is free. I'm pretty sure it's free, but this is where you can get CVDs. So cumulative volume delta, you could get your spot CVDs, not really as important, but your future CVDs, you could spread them, you could split them all up between different exchanges. You can aggregate them. You can look at all open interest, whether it's stablecoin margin contract open interest or coin margin contract open interest. You can look at funding, predictive funding. You could glean a lot from these. And I think that this is, I think it's a, a free platform. I, I think it is because if you, there is a button that says add free version. I think if you choose that, you don't have to look at an ad, but then you have to probably pay. Um, the ad is not obstructive at all. Like it's off to the right. It doesn't get in the way. So this is one platform. Um, I'll, if you message me on Twitter, I'll share you, I'll share a, uh, a few suggestions in, um, in a direct message. As far as what the other, what was your question that now I, I might've completely forgot. Let me try to remember it. Oh, uh, TWAP. So TWAP is actually one thing that is not difficult to see on the low timeframes. So I, I'm talking about like the very low timeframes. So either, I mean, you could look, you could look at it basically on like a three or five minute chart. Um, so I'm going to go find a more recent TWAP and then you could look at it on your chart and see what I'm talking about. So the more recent TWAP, in, it began around, so March 8th at, we'll just say 2250, or you could just say that the UTC time, zero hour, March 9th. So first minute of the day, right? So go to a trade, you know, if you have trading view or a chart open, any free charting platform, it doesn't matter. If you could look at the, the three or the five minute time frame, you can look at the one, but it, it makes it a little bit more organized if you look at it uh, on the three or five. So if you see the the price action from the beginning of March 9th going to like the third hour of the day, so three hours in, there is a there's a period of upward sloping price action. It's not really sloping. It never really gets away. It's very methodical buying, selling, buying immediately. It's basically, this looks like a, this kind of looks like a, uh, almost like a five to 10 minute TWAP. There is an algo that is just buying every few minutes. And you can see that the candle structure is, um, it, it's very clean. It, it, the best way, the best way I could describe this is it's just it's this slow handicap ramp, 45 degree, the handicap ramp's not 45 degree angle. It's almost like a 45 degree angle of just buy, 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 market sells a little bit, TWAP starts again, buy, 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 market sells a little bit. Basically, the T, when the TWAP is not um, engaged or when it's not buying, it's just the market left to its own devices. The TWAP is aggressive buying coming in every few minutes. So it leaves this sort of upward gradual ramp of price action and you could find it you could see it if you have a if you if you have like a trend line tool you could see it perfectly when you place a trend line at the bottom of this structure extending up to the top it's almost like it forms a perfect channel right it's never buying too much it's only buying you know uh, a a programmed amount um a twop is good whenever there is uh when there's not when there's a decent amount of market depth or a decent amount of liquidity at the top of the book um, so thicker conditions are better for a TWAP, uh, but it buys a little bit, let's price reset, buys a little bit, let's price reset. And it, it forms a really nice channel, uh, in price action. Um, the best way to look at the best way to understand that is, is just to look at it. So you could see this in a lot of, uh, a lot of the, 
during the period where there was like rotational rotational favorites like Solana, Luna, Avax, um, Phone, whether it was FTM, Near, um, Harmony, Atom, um, each of those went through a period where there was people t-wapping in to to get exposure. And it just leaves a it leaves a kind of an obvious footprint, but you have to look at it. So again, the first minute of March 9th, going into like the third hour, look at that on like a three to five minute chart. You can look at it on one minute chart, it doesn't really matter. But with the, the higher out you go, the more you're gonna group things together, you're not gonna be able to really see it. Um, but th- that's all it is, right? It's just this if it's a if it's a buyer, you're gonna see it's this, this slight upward slope. Never really, you never really get a pullback, right? So, price just kind of ramps up over time. Never really gives a, a significant pullback because every couple of minutes, you know, there's the same like hundred BTC that's bought. So, do you uh, do you have a chart buy? Hey man, uh, no thanks, thanks a lot for for that. Um, yes, I actually uh, I'm seeing it right now, and uh, yeah, a couple of things. Uh, I do. I do have a, a premium subscription on, on TradingView, so yeah, I'm, I'm aware that you you do need to pay something, at least something for some uh, good tools. Um, but yeah, I wanted to to know if there were some other tools uh, that were easily accessible. Uh, and yeah, I'm also familiar with uh, Coinalyze, so I'll also keep an eye out for for the open interest and the uh, TWAP. Yes, I actually remember that day. Uh, this guy, uh, Hente Avenger, just saying a uh, bidding just as the TWAP uh, was happening. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't jump in just because I didn't know where uh, to put my invalidation. But uh, yeah, it's it's very clear. I mean, you uh, can how see you it, describe it. If you if you look at it on the chart, you see that structure. But if you're looking at something like a tape, um, so the time and sales, a lot of the times right. you'll see. And usually it'll be done in smaller orders. You'll see like someone buying consistently in intervals at the same lot size. So sometimes that'll be like a while back. Um, there's a trader named Alex Weiss, and there was a TWAP, and it was showing up in the tape because someone was just buying like machine gunning twenty thousand contract orders. Like they would buy you know a uh, million dollars in BTC with 20,000 contract orders and then it would slow down and then it would go again and you'd see these orders come through on the tape. And it was just like a weird, uh, it was a weird um, consistency, right? It was a weird pattern that was coming through on the times and sales that was not random, right? So that's something you could also see on the times and sales. If you look at like an aggregated tape. Great. Thanks. Thanks a lot. And, and just one last question. Um, these TWAPs that uh, we should be expecting, uh, if uh, uh, Terra and Salvador go go ahead with their buys, uh, how how would they compare, for example, with this one from March ninth? Uh, how yeah, um, what I mean, would be so, the size of this one uh, compared to the ones uh, that we would get, for example? So just to clarify, like first and foremost, we're speculating that that's how Luna is going to get filled. So Luna is looking to buy, like, let's say they're looking to buy $1.2 billion in BTC, right? $1.2 billion worth of BTC. Okay, so they go to an OTC desk or they go to multiple OTC desks to try to obviously source counterparties. Um, A lot of people don't realize, like, it was a funny conversation the other day where I was having conversations with people about whether or not 
the OTC would, you know, this buy would lead to higher prices. And it was ridiculous. Like people, they, they wouldn't consider that a billion dollars worth of BTC being bought would lead to higher prices as if like there's going to be the immediate counterparty in OTC that's just willing to offload that amount, right? And not have any market impact. So OTC is going to source to multiple counterparties. They're more than likely not going to find, right, the $1.2 billion of BTC to just sell, right, for, you know, an even deal. So they're going to go through exchanges to, to um, you know, to create this order and fill this position. So on the exchanges, they're going to be, you know, they're, their buyers, their traders are going to be more than likely using a TWAP to get filled. They don't have to use a TWAP, but if you want to get, you know, if you want to fill a large position um, and don't want to leave a massive footprint and, you know, for example, like your choices are if you're, so if you're like a, a portfolio manager, you want to get filled around VWAP where there's a good amount of liquidity, or you want to get filled below VWAP. So you could say, hey, I got filled average price below. What is the average price? So you got kind of a discount. You could use something like a um, volume weighted price algo. You could use a TWAP. You can use an iceberg. You can use a, you know, um, you could use a, a multitude of different order types. If you were to be a large player and you were going to use a if you are a large participant, you are going to use a limit order. You're advertising your position, so that's not going to happen, right? They're not going to go place a bunch of bids in the book and try to get filled for 1.2 billion contracts worth, of, you know, 1.2 billion dollars worth of BTC. So they're not going to do that. They're not going to market in at all once, right? So their choices are iceberg, which is good in thin markets, so basically hidden order, or a TWAP if the market is thick enough so they could just continue to take liquidity. So we think that the way that they execute this order is going to be through exchanges with a TWAP. Um, that is like our, that's our, our assumption that that's the most likely case. You know, when this occurs is anybody's guess, right? So that's why it was like the other day I was saying, hey, I'm bullish to get behind the TWAP if I recognize it, but I'm not longing right here because maybe we move down another $3 before they even buy, right? Um, so the idea is like keeping, it's, you know, it's basically saying, hey, keep your eye open for this behavior. Um, and maybe Luna announces it. I don't think they would announce it because they're, that, that would be, they're kind of announcing it in advance, but people think that this market, oh, why would they announce it in advance? Like that'd be the worst thing to do. Historically, this market shows how it's not efficient, right? And how things are not priced in really until the last minute. Um, but it's something that I'm going to be keeping my, my eyes open to. It's, it's not a definite, right? Maybe they, maybe they don't have to execute as much through the exchanges. Maybe it's, you know, going to be sourced differently. Who knows? Right. But it's, it's a possibility for a trade to get behind because it definitely, if, if they were going to be buying $500 million worth of BTC, forget about a billion, 500 million, half of that, if they're going to be using a TWAP, it's going to lead to higher prices because uh, when, when market makers realize that there is a TWAP, right, they could still make markets because there's still a good enough amount of back and forth behavior. But when, other people realize what's taking place when they realize like, oh, this flow is, you know, from Terra, uh, you know, Luna, right? Um, there's going to be sort of a pylon effect, right? So it might cause an increase in momentum to occur. And at that point, things can get toxic where liquidity is pulled and then the move ends up speeding up. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like what happened uh, for that March 9th move where there was a TWAP and then market started to chase it and then it led into a short squeeze and then it led into a much larger move. So the idea is, the TWAP is absolutely going to lead to higher prices if they 
use the TWAP. And, and then if they use the TWAP, right, or if this is how they get involved, then if we even notice it while it's happening, right? I think, you know, there's, right, there's a good long there if you could pick up on it. So that's the idea. Right. Uh, f- thanks so much for, for the explanation, Clark. And uh, that, that'd be all from, from me. Thanks again. Nice talking to you, Raph. So just as I was saying, TWAPs are like, they're actually not the most desirable method of getting involved, like from a legacy standpoint. As I mentioned, you know, VWAP and, and getting in around a fair price, getting in around the most liquid price. Um, it's, you know, there are two, uh, two popular ways to get involved other than your standard methods, right? So TWAP from, from an algorithmic standpoint. So TWAP, and this is not the extent of methods to get involved because you could have like limit chasing and a bunch of different types of orders that we're not even go- going to go into. Um, some of these are available on Insilico Terminal, for example. He, he created a terminal with um, those features that are pretty standard, actually, in legacy markets. But um, a TWAP is good when the market is thick, right? When there is enough liquidity and when it's replenishing and refreshing because it's just consistent market orders over time, right? So the example of a TWAP, I want to buy five BTC every five minutes. So, you know, let's say there's 10 BTC available on the offer. TWAP starts, bang. Bought that ten, bought five out of that ten BTC. All right, that first interval is done. In the five minutes that follow, the book refreshes. Right, so book refreshes, the offer re, you know replenishes, filled up again. Next TWAP starts, boom, five BTC. This occurring over time is good if there's good amount of liquidity and market is stable enough. Right, um, if it's thick enough. Uh, this is not good. Imagine if price begins to move really fast because if a TWAP is buying and it's buying into a moving market while well, there's going to be less liquidity and there's going to be more slippage. The other method, which is the opposite, which is better in thinner conditions is a, is an iceberg order. Uh, and this is basically a majority of this is as it implies an iceberg. It's mostly under the surface. It's hidden. Um, so you could see an iceberg. Uh, if you look at like a Dom or if you look at um, a Dom and a footprint at times and sales, an example of an iceberg just to convey what it would look like would be like, let's say, and you've probably seen this before. Um, let's say that it's just a hidden order, but let's say that you saw that there was only, you know, five Bitcoin. And this is, let me use something that's more realistic. So like the average, I think the average bid and ask on something like, um, what are we looking at? Like uh, Bybit, for example. So we have 98 BTC right now uh, on the offer. Now it went down to 18, right? It's constantly going to be adjusting. But let's say that we see that there's only one BTC that's on the offer, right? So there's only one BTC on the offer at, let's say, 38000 right? So $38,000, that's the offer. There's one BTC for sale. But we see that on the tape and on the footprint, there's actually been well over one BTC. There's 50 BTC that's been bought at the offer at 38,000, right? So 38,000, right, was traded into. It only is advertised as offering one BTC. But for some reason, we've been able to buy 50 BTC from 38,000, so from that offer. So what happens is that offer is replenishing, right? That offer, that offer is refilling. Uh, and this involves, like, this is not simple because this involves Q priority, um, but this is basically a hidden order, 
right? So there's a lot more behind that than is uh, up for advertising. So these are two methods that you could fill uh, a pretty large position. So your iceberg would be like a good till cancel, you know, it would be left over time, similar to how you would leave a limit over time, but it wouldn't be advertised. And your TWAP is just basically taking liquidity at a pre-subscribe, you know, a, a preset interval of time um, for, you know, whatever value you want to set as well. So as long as the books are thick, it's a good way to fill a position. Anyone else want to hop in? Mar, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yep. Hey, how's it going? Uh, I've been following your stuff, and it's very uh, informative. I appreciate the content you put out on Twitter. I had uh, two questions. Uh, it seems like the zeitgeist of this stream thus far has been, I guess if I could summarize it, like a little bit of a bullish sentiment in an overall bearish uh, market structure that we've had thus far. Uh, the question I had is one is regarding Terra Luna, uh, it's had a kind of a parabolic you know, bounce from the lows that we had around 34K. How much of that do you think is due to, you know, market, you know, participants who had early information to this, you know, Luna buyback buying it for burn mechanic reasons? And also, is it possible that, you know, some of this $1.2 billion buying of BTC has occurred prior and we're just now sort of getting the news event prior to the rumor, you know, we, we're not privy to the amount that they already bought. And then the second question is, what are some of, you know, uh, views in your mind that can continue the bearish downtrend irrespective of you know equities continue to be bogged because i do think equities have room to fall you know from a lot of variety of traders who are only legacy traders you know what what do you think will allow btc to continue that one-to-one correlation while equities get the bog yeah so first and foremost with luna i do think that uh there's a case to be made for a significant amount of people being privy to that information right and i think crypto in general is a market where that would happen more than anything else because um, there's really no punishment for that. There's really no ramifications for that, right? Having like inside information and, and knowing well in advance. Um, Luna right now, honestly, I mean, I, I don't want to say this uh, because it's kind of a cursed thing to say with Luna and it was with like Solana in the past, but I think Luna is, is pretty topped out. Um, I think it's kind of refu- run its reflexive course uh, and we have like a, a pretty ugly weekly structure that's forming. I was actually short Luna from a little bit higher, um, ended up opening two shorts, but I don't know, I've been burned before on thinking I could short alts from the high. Uh, so I closed them out in a couple of dollars of profit, but I'm, I'm looking at this now thinking that it's similar to Axie where it had these really sustained runs, people wrote it off and then it kept pushing up, but now we're putting in like our higher time frame weekly structural high. Um, as far as their BTC purchase, I, and this kind of, I guess, touches on my my last point about some people having access to information earlier. Um, I, I would say that with 99% certainty that they haven't bought their BTC yet, just because of a few relationships that I have in this market where people are talking directly with them about their purchase that's coming up. Um, so I would say that, that's, that they, they haven't bought their BTC yet. Um, so, and, and I don't think there's been really a footprint of any kind of that act, any kind of any excuse me, any uh, evidence of that activity. Um, so that I'm fairly certain of, unless like those parties are just completely bullshitting, but I, I don't have reason to believe that. And this market has been 
it's worked that way in the past where, you know, it's a matter of who, you know, um, and, and I hate to say it, but if you're like a larger account, you do have access to, you know, you have access to more of this stuff than someone who's, you know, maybe just a, a retail investor sort of on the sidelines for the most part. Um, as far as BTC, like it is, you know, it, the, the move that I'm looking at, like for a, for some type of short term move to the upside, that brief period of decoupling, I think is, would more than likely be fueled by the positioning that's strictly taking place in BTC, where you have a significant amount of um, selling activity that is taking place on derivative products, whether it's hedging or outright selling. I think that they get punished regardless of what direction Bitcoin takes in the next couple of months. Um, that would be a brief period of decorrelation. I think the thing that is most reliably leaned on, sorry, my dog is in the background itching her head. Hold on, let me help you out there, buddy. One second, I'm going to take off the collar so it makes less noise. Um, it's funny because when my dog has an itch, I think like, oh, I'm going to be really nice and help my dog out. And then I itch the same spot and then she just itches the top of my hand with her foot. But um, I think uh, the most reliable thing in the last couple of months has been the correlation. Like it's not a short-term spurious correlation. So if equities continue to move lower, um, and then maybe this, this trade is off the table, right? And the trade's not even set up yet though. So it's not like there's a, I mean, you could say like, it's not something that I would want to get in position around that these lows right here around 38 um, are a good platform to take a long off of. I'd rather something like I said, where either we move a little bit lower, we're closer to the lows of the range, or we take a high right around 42 or we're above 45. If if equities move lower, though, like, for example, later on we have – so things that are not reflected in markets right now, though, you know, no, you could say that Bitcoin is like a proxy for risk assets in general when other risk assets aren't open. So Bitcoin is always open. Crypto is always open. It's always, always able to reflect investor and, you know, and trader sentiment. So it is kind of like the fire alarm for markets. Um, and that's just because, you know, futures markets closed after Friday evening into Sunday evening. But we did have a bombing of um, by Iran last night, right? So I think it was Erbil. And that is potentially something that could lead to significant moves by gold, by equities, by crude oil. So we'll see. It could be a very interesting open if if equities move down with, it's a matter of how fast things are moving. If equities begin to lose their floor and we're seeing them get slippery to, you know, slippery towards the downside, the most reliable thing that we could lean on in the past has been that when they do that, Bitcoin does that too, right? It's when equities move sideways, show some stability that Bitcoin can more or less trade on its own. But when the VIX is spiking and when equities are moving down with force, there's no, there's no safe harbor really. Uh, Bitcoin moves down and usually moves down more. We know that it bounces higher, but it moves down more, right? Um, so absent, like let's say just absent equities, you know, what are some maybe cases to make for downside specifically with respect to, to crypto? Well, one of them is always like regulatory FUD, right? So this new, you know, thing that's taken place, this overnight bill with ESG and with um, proof of work with BTC and you know, this is taking place in the United Kingdom. I don't know enough details about it, so it might sound like a moron just throwing out any word that sounds relevant. <laughs> but uh, um, at least I admit this stuff, right? Um, but there is always that, like, regulatory left hook that we don't see coming. 
I don't think that we have to worry as much as maybe we were in the past. Like, for example, the Biden um, executive order, it was like brought up like 10 times since we knew that it was going to come out. And every time it was brought up, like it was new information, it led to the market getting a little bit spooked, like just ever so slightly. Um, the executive order ends up coming out and it's actually pretty innocuous. Um, I thought it was more positive than anything else. You know, if you want to be accepted into the global financial system, you have to compromise. And if we want legacy participants that are going to create meaningful moves in price action, meaning long only funds, pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, you know, your large investors, your large uh, investment trusts, in a large town, silly, your massive, you know, money managers, they're going to be more, they're going to be happier to get involved when there's more regulatory clarity. That regulatory clarity could spook markets in the short term. It always is, you know, the thing that we, you know, is potentially, it, it could lead to a black swan, right? Like, in time, I mean, I've got to be honest, like, with all this stuff taking place with the weaponization of the dollar and, you know, sanctions, I mean, I'd be lying if I didn't say, like, there was part of me that was just waiting for that headline of, like, we're going to make Bitcoin illegal because, you know, they're blaming it on, uh, you know, Russia or what's taking place. Um, and that would, you know, a headline like that or anything that even begins to go in that direction would lead to uh, probably some pretty catastrophic moves in crypto. So there's always those. Right. We're just kind of hoping that, you know, better heads prevail. And my and, and this is sounds really dumb, but I think it's honestly a really intelligent way to look at the market. When I think about like my when I think about my. Um, when I think about my cold storage, uh, which is never like something I talk about, and honestly, I'll just say I, I don't have any, right, to be safe. Even though that's kind of useless to say that now. Um, I like to tell people I have a, a, I have cold storage, but I also have plenty of ammunition. But um, the uh, thing about that is I, I, it's a, an investment is a five to 10 year time horizon, right? It's a minimum of three. And with crypto, you know, who are the proponents of crypto? Who are the major supporters? They're all the youth, right? The youth, the younger people. I'll call myself young still, even though, fuck, my, I mean, my birthday passed not too long ago and I'm I'm getting old. Um, but the youth inherit the future, right? They, excuse me, the youth make the future. They bring forward what they like and what they want into the future. And all the old people that are current incumbents and current, you know, currently at the helm of our, our you know, our financial systems, uh, they die, right? And they take their shit with them. Um, you know, the saying goes that, you know, new science progresses one funeral at a time, right? So, and, and that's grim, but I, I think that's an investment thesis, honestly. Like, do I think that, do I, I think in 10 years from now, you know, Bitcoin is, I think it's absolutely over 100K. Now I'm saying that's a safe ballpark number to say, because it's also, it's actually not a very attractive number to say. Because if I say that in 10 years from now, Bitcoin is over 100K, well, then what was the rate of return between now and then? Not actually that attractive, right? I mean, that's a, what is that? I mean, someone do the, the, the quick math. I mean, 10 years from now, 100K, that means that it's gone up 100%. That's not a very attractive investment, right? So it's, it's a matter of, because you have to think about the time value of money and your opportunity costs in the meantime. Like if you put all your money in BTC just to get a double over 10 years, like you could have done a lot more uh, and just consider Bitcoin like, you know, very stable, you know, store value, maybe, who knows. But um, what was I saying? Because yeah, I sped up for a little bit. I think my coffee just hit me. Um, I'll, I'll let you uh, hop back on and, and ask away and, and talk back if, if I missed anything. I started speeding up towards the end, so.
That was, that was a great explanation uh, of what's been going on. Uh, uh, really appreciate it. And one of the other things I, was, I had a thought is, are we perhaps seeing the year in which Bitcoin... So in my mind, the way I, I view crypto is like it has phases. And initially you had the phase where it was just not even sought after by you know institutions or you know, large amounts of money. Then it had the adoption phase. Now we're sort of in the phase where it's adopted, but it's used at, as, viewed as a risk on asset. With the Russia stuff, would you perhaps think that you know that it's viewed as a hybrid in the sense it is a risk on asset by certain market participants, like perhaps venture capital funds, VC funds, uh, things like that, and also it's also viewed as a store of value in actual financial transaction means by some of the you know countries that are realizing how you know crippling financial sanctions can be. So it's like you're having this duality of market participants occur within this past one month period that we perhaps not have had historically. Yeah, so that was actually, and I'm, I was wondering if I wasn't as clear earlier when I was trying to say it, um, that was one of my cases uh, in one of the all earlier call-ins when I was saying that there are, you know, Bitcoin is, I, I've described it as a chameleon before. And I think that just at a base level, things benefit when there are more reasons to buy it, right? So, you know, for for someone who there's there's there are people out there that think crypto is just a risk asset. Okay, so they have the reason to get behind it and when to buy it, right? When you know when rates are low, when you know risk assets are benefiting as a whole, crypto is good beta to be getting behind because you know it it performs well. Okay, so that's one group of people. On its own, that's just one set of buyers, right? There are with crypto, there are a, a multitude of buyers, right? Of different narratives for why people are buying. Now, I think that that's what makes it one of the most attractive investments over the longer term. Because if at any point some buyers decide to pull off the gas pedal, you do have those tried and true diehard, you know, uh, Bitcoin maximalists that are, they don't consider the dollar as having any kind of real value. They're just thinking in terms of BTC. You have people that think of it as a store of value, as a risk-off tool. Uh, and I think that the stories that we tell ourselves end up shaping the world. And when it comes to assets, the more reasons that you have to buy something, or the, the more reasons that there are for someone to buy something, whether they're true or not, doesn't matter, the better off it is. Now, I think that with crypto, it is it definitely isn't benefiting from the amount of penetration that legacy assets are. Right. So, for example, in legacy you know, if you're a long-only fund, you're still buying stocks even when they're going down, right? If you are a long-only fund and, you know, you, you know, your value investors, uh, you're buying stocks when they're dropping. You're buying them in a downtrend. You're buying them throughout this entire time because that's part of your mandate. One, one of them is because that's part of your mandate, right? That you just, you can't just stop buying if part of your fund's mandate is that you're going to consistently gain exposure to you know, X, Y, Z. We don't have that yet with uh, legacy participants and crypto. I think that we're going towards that, though, where more and more funds, more and more of these, you know, significant participants in market are going to start adding Bitcoin to what they consider they need to consistently gain exposure to over time, right? Instead of thinking like one, two years out, it's no, we're building a position in, you know, Bitcoin over the next five to 10 years, right? Because we have a much higher time frame view on this. Uh, so I, I think that we're getting closer to that, but that requires more, obviously that requires more regulatory clarity because those types of participants, they don't want to get involved 
when there is regulatory uncertainty. And that is mostly, mostly, honestly, not for Bitcoin. It's mostly for DeFi. Like smart money, honest, there's money getting involved that's smart in DeFi and in, you know, um, altcoins and everything outside of BCC. But it's not, it's like smart VC money. It's smart small fund money. It's not smart sovereign wealth fund money buying things that have smart contract risk, right? Like yield farming. Like this is all fun stuff for, you know, for fast money and for traders. But Bitcoin is the only thing I think. And, you know, there's a case to be made for some other pairs as well. I'm sure like people who are ETH maxis will hate that or hate me saying Bitcoin is, you know, the, the only one. But there are only a few things in the crypto universe that really check that box or check those boxes. I think Bitcoin definitely does. Um, so hopefully that answers your, excuse me. Hopefully that answers your question. Definitely. That was very helpful. And I only have one more question. I don't want to hog the, and I was wondering if you could touch base on like the, you know, macroeconomics aspect. I know this is like a crypto uh, based stream currently, but I feel like there's some benefits to be had regarding like the yield curves of bonds, you know, possible yield curve inversion, what that implies for equities and how we as, you know, market participants can maybe, evaluate the risk in equities as these, you know, bond market mechanics are occurring and sort of maybe perhaps draw our conclusions about what might occur with crypto as a whole, because, you know, some of the, you know, conversations I've heard regarding the yields is that the Fed is basically going to be perhaps forced to be more hawkish than dovish than people expect due to the yield curves behaving the way they are. That will come as a shock to the equities market and might actually trigger you know, a capitulation or, you know, more than anticipated drawdown. And that might, you know, translate to a, you know, capitulation or anticipatory drawdown. I was wondering if you've been keeping track with that, your thoughts, because I feel like you're definitely more knowledgeable than me on a lot of stuff. Yeah, so a couple things. I mean, there's there's been a lot of interesting things taking place below the surface in markets recently. Uh, a lot of happenings in foreign exchange and now in credit markets that I think are um, definitely reason to, you know, there's reason to be cautionary. Uh, you know, over there's a, if you look at just the yield curve inversion, for example, um, you know, that, yeah, has been something that usually precedes recessions, not immediately, but in a short time after, I think it's like what one, maybe it's like one to two years. Um, so there's the, the possibility that, and it's one of the, you know, described strategies of the fed basically hiking us into a recession, right? Um, the way I see it, like, I'm not someone who honestly thinks that I don't think they can, they can allow markets to get too low. I mean, this kind of sounds ridiculous, but the, the, um, I think Stan Druckenmiller said something like, uh, you find the condition of the economy in the market. Um, the, and we know that there's plenty of times where the economy and the market are completely disconnected, but people look at the index and I call I call it the happiness reason for this, you know, for this reason, uh, happiness reason. I call it the happiness. I'm sorry, guys. I'm walking around my house right now trying to I'm going to take a segue for a second. I'm trying to fill my workout drink with uh, pre-workout. And I'm doing this while I'm trying to talk at the same time. And I'm definitely not uh, doing it well. Um, but there's there's a case to be made for the indices being like a representation of our you know, our overall economy, right? I call them the happiness index because, you know, they're part of your 401k, you know, markets are doing well, rah, rah, rah. If markets are doing poorly, I think it's going to, it's going to lead to even worse sentiment. And right now, you know, coming off of COVID, what's taking place geopolitically, 
Um, markets on top of that tanking, people's retirement tanking. I don't think this stuff can honestly, I, I know it sounds maybe ridiculous. I don't think it could be allowed to happen for long before they have to do something kind of like pass the buck on to the next generation or the next, you know, group of people in power to figure out like, Hey, this is, we're going to continue to have, you know, we have to continue to patch this up the way we're doing it. We know that it's not, you know, we know that it's not a long-term fix, but there's nothing else we can do right now. So I think that there's a possibility that, yeah, we're going to approach like some breaking point in markets. Like who knows what that is, right? Um, Who knows what it is, but when it happens, I guess the point is like, who's going to save the day? It's going to be the fed, right? I think that they're, I think they are, put into a corner, right? Until I don't know what the change is. Like, this is not my area of competence, but I think they've painted themselves into the corner of being the person that needs to do the lifting at some point. Um, and that's why I say like, you know, when it comes to bear markets, when it comes to these longer drawdowns, like for me, it's just always a matter of when and not if, right? When things pick up again. And I think it's like, if you just look at from a historical standpoint, and maybe not the best case, because you know, in the last 20 years, we've had certain conditions that are now being, you know, things have changed in the last two years that no one would have seen coming in the last 20 prior. Um, and markets have been great, right? We've been on like one way trip for the most part, awesome bull market in equities, same in, um, same in crypto. So I, I think though, that if you just look historically, one, historically speaking with rates, the trend has been down. Right. So if you if you go back to where rates were in the 1970s and the 1980s and 1990s, I mean, people are thinking right now, like, oh, my God, fuck, if they raise rates like mortgage rates and you know, we've had no we've had zero rates. Like we're talking about going back to a, a place where we actually were in the past, like mortgage rates, for example, going up to like five percent. They're flatlined for the last few years. I mean, we're talking about going back to somewhere we've actually been, but where we haven't been is higher than we've been. Um, how, how do I put this? We haven't made a new high in terms of rates in the last 40 or 30 or 40 years. So the trend has been raised rates, but it's never been higher than the, pra- the past period. Okay. So uh, who knows? I think that that, I, I think there's a good case to be made for that trend, not changing them more or less like raising rates to say like, look, we, we raised rates and, and we did something, you know, pat on the back, it not really doing anything. Uh, maybe we get to the point where markets, something does break internally and then you know when markets do have it's not here because it's usually it's it's usually beyond the 20 percent drawdown and we're not there yet in equities but when markets do have that right and everything is considered you know a a bear market condition um it's going to be the fed that has to kind of step in again and when the fed steps in again that is you know the concept is don't fade the fed and it's been tried and true forever now and it works though obviously in the opposite direction because the last few months have been, hey, don't fade the Fed when it comes to uh, when it comes to the downside as well, right? So when they tell you though that they're going to be injecting capital into the system, um, and when you see that that rather that that is changing, and rates are going down again, like that is a, the most obvious long only signal that you could ask for. And I think that no matter what, like as bad as things can get, they're going to get bad to the point where they need to do things again with sounds like uh ridiculous because i keep saying things I, I always notice like when i'm being redundant and it's trust me it's tough to do youtubes and call-ins i'm definitely better trader than i am at this um but they're gonna get to the point where they have to uh they have to be the one to more or less save the day again
that's my two cents. That's my opinion. I can, you know, we could be 10 years down the line from now and it's like the forgotten decade. And, uh, you know, we're all living in Mad Max conditions. You still there with me? Gotcha. Yeah. 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 Thank you for explaining that. Yeah. I think like the the happiness sentiment, that's a good way to approach it. The market because you're right. The only thing that sort of gives me, you know, a little bit of anxiety is, I mean, I have some family members that are not well off and just seeing the inflation burden actually starting to affect their day-to-day life. Like that's also hurting the happiness skill on another spectrum, the people that don't necessarily have access to the markets. So it's like, it's like a balancing act of, do we help the people who have exposure to the markets? Do we help people that historically have not had exposure that are being hurt by inflation, which is sad reality. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a very sad reality. And, and part of the happiness index, part of what I was referencing was that it honestly is used by politicians as well, right? Like if you, you know, say what you want about Trump, uh, but he was well aware of how people looked at the S and P, right? It was like immediately what he'd point to, to, you know, to indicate his level of success and, and presidents do this, right? It is a political tool. So, um, but like you said, I mean, that there's that side, right? You know, you have retirements and 401ks, um, but then you have people that did, a lot of people don't even have an exposure to markets, right? Um, and, and they're experiencing, you know, the $7 gas or the, I mean, I went to the, um, I went to the supermarket yesterday and I just like think about how many bags I walk out and how many hundred dollars I spent. Right. So I bought, like I got out of the gym. I go to uh, a nice supermarket by me. I bought, I was, I was thinking tacos. So I was like, all right, I need, I need some, um, I wanted some uh, grass fed beef and grab some chicken. I got a couple of avocados. Every time I buy, avoc- every time we buy avocados in our household, we like eat one, we forget about the rest and they go bad. So I bought a bunch of avocados. I bought like a habanero sauce. I, I, I had two loosely filled bags, like nothing really, right? It was like $120. I mean, I don't do a lot of driving. So um, that's good because I I don't, I mean, I see how I'm seeing like leaps and bounds in gas prices because since I don't do a lot of driving, um, and I don't mean I don't do a lot of, I I work from home, right? So it's not like uh, I commute to work every day. So I don't feel that, right? The same way if someone's commuting to work every day, like that's a huge change. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, this is it's 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 on You know, it, it's not something that can continue. They have to do something about it. But but I don't think like raising my I don't think raising rates is going to do anything like unless they're going to go like blocker style and 20 percent rates, um, which I don't think that that's a, a possibility. It's it's a bunch of things. It's supply chain issues. Now it's you know, now it's being said that it is all due to Putin. Clearly, we know that that's not the case. Like, that's just bullshit before, uh, you know, midterms. But yeah, the world is like a very messy place right now. And it is, uh, it's an interesting time to be in markets because you have to, you're, you're learning a ton, if anything. Uh, but it's overwhelming right now, right? Because like I said, I mean, leading up to two months ago, it was like, oh, damn. All right. So it's, all right, now markets are going to take a breather and we just got to, you know, all pay attention to the Fed. We're all Fed watching, you know, Fed watching now, um, which is if you were a legacy trader, either way, it was like something you're used to. Like now crypto is, you know, keen on CPI and uh, FOMC meetings. Like that was never something that I'm sure anyone would imagine they'd be thinking of in crypto 
a couple of years back. But now we have just complete uncertainty uh, on the global stage. Right? And there's bigger issues than markets, right? Like existential risk that is on the table when you have people that are, you know, emotional and, um, you know, at the, they're at the controls of nuclear weapons and, you know, ordering people into combat. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time, needless to say. Thanks for uh, responding to my questions. Appreciate the time. Thanks, man. All right. Does anyone else want to hop on? It is 225. I went a little bit over because I know that I um, I tend to go on like these long diatribes in the beginning. So I know I killed like 30 minutes. But yeah, so it is freezing today. And uh, I'm sure I try to share some stuff from like my personal life on Twitter because I feel like, I don't know, there's like this idea in crypto that you have to be completely uh, undoxed and and anonymous. And most people are pseudo anonymous. Um, but I don't know. I'm just a, a, a person. Right. So I shared pictures uh, maybe a week, two weeks ago of a bunch of puppies um, because my wife is she is in this fox hunting group. And, and, you know, before anyone freaks out, there's no animals harmed. There's no actual foxes. They actually, you'll learn a little bit, they take a bunch of, like, hot dog water. This sounds disgusting. My wife has been the one to make it at one point. Hot dog water mixed with some type of, it might be fox urine. I don't know if it's synthesized or if it's, if it's legit. But, and then one person goes through the woods and they spray like a trail for a couple miles. There's a lead, they drag it, it's called drag scent. And then they all go off on the horses and they have a bunch of hounds and they chase the scent. And then you know, they get together at the end and, you know, have uh, wine and cheese and all that stuff. Um, but all these new puppies were just born and she is uh, with them right now. They have to, you know, spend a lot of time with them, get them, uh, custom to what they're going to be doing. They have a nice life. They live with a bunch of horses. It's like a children's book. I tell my wife, I'm like, you should be writing a children's book because this is, um, I don't know. I, I went there the, I went there last week and I don't care what kind of mood you're in. I shared uh, the video of myself lying down on the floor at the stable. I don't care what mood you're in, what type of global conflict there is. If you lay down with 10 puppies, everything gets better. It really does. But I think that'll be it, guys, because we know what happens. I will just go on and segue about the most random, pointless shit, and we'll be stuck on here for another hour. I wish you all a fantastic Sunday. Um, I will uh, look to go live again on Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, until then, be well. We have futures opening up this evening. So, I, I don't know. That'll probably set the tone to a degree because I think one thing that we're all – I know myself um, waiting to see is how the market uh, disseminates what's taking place over the weekend, right? specifically yesterday. So with what took place in Herbal, um, with what looked like a rocket attack on, I don't know what the details were, the U.S. building or something, some forward operating base. I don't know. All right. Until uh, looks like Wednesday. Enjoy your Enjoy your time in the market. (laughs) Take care, guys.